Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me for, I don't know, probably the last time for a little while, maybe. We don't know for sure. We don't have a, a window into these timelines. We don't know what exactly is going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Joining me for now is Eric Green. Eric, what's going on, man? Uh, I do know exactly what's going to happen. I'm just not telling anybody. Yes, that's uh, that's what we do. As the number of DMs and tweets I get during the playoffs, hey, what's the starting lineup tonight? Yeah, you got it. I was sitting on it just in case you messaged me. Strange. Daily, fan- Daily Fantasy waits for no man. I can't believe people still play Daily Fantasy when it's down to like one or two games a night. I don't know. Maybe people are just interested in uh, the starting lineup then. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I just, like, no, uh, they do do it. Like, that's why they're asking yeah. so relentlessly. Yeah. I just like the edge there must be non-existent. Well, I never really took the time to understand Daily Fantasy. So uh, I guess I just have nothing to say here. It used, uh, to, be a, mm. used to be a part of my gig. So yeah. when I did a lot more baseball stuff, so. Yeah. So I get um, Yeah. Well, one day I won't ask you to explain it to me. One day you won't? Yeah. This day as well I won't ask you to explain it to me. Good. I don't want to explain all day, it to All you. days moving forward I will not ask you to explain it to me. Good, good, good. All right. We have, uh, I don't know, we've got some stuff to, to talk about, I guess. <laughs> the Toronto Raptors have been eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, apologies that we didn't get this to you immediately after the sweep. Uh, you, you know it's a bad series when we don't even get one mid-series podcast in. Yeah. Um, Seven days. That's how long it lasted. It, it's, uh, they're just wasn't much time or impetus to to do that. I, I don't think it would have been really well listened, well uh, well consumed. No, maybe if we could have done one right after game one, but we had just done the preview podcast, so. Yeah, every, we just would have screamed, everything's broken, it's over. Yeah. Uh, although after game one, confidence still seemed a little high. So to recap, the Raptors lose game one in overtime uh, after they miss 400 tip-ins. They talk the right, they say the right things afterwards. Uh, the general sense was that that was their shot, and giving a game away to LeBron James is, uh, you know, that's that's not only dangerous if you have all the confidence in the world, but if you're a team that has a sort of precarious confidence against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, it's pretty deadly, and it proved that way. They came out late, a bit of an egg in Game 2. Dwayne Casey called them emotionally drunk after. Game 3, a nice fight back. Um, DeMar DeRozan gets benched in the second half. The Raptors make this big comeback, lose on a LeBron James buzzer beater. Any remaining faith that they could make it a series is completely extinguished. And then the Cavaliers blow them out in Game 4. Uh, the highest margin of victory ever to eliminate a one seed and the first time a one seed has been swept before the third round of the playoffs in like 50 years. Uh, not great, Eric. No, it wasn't good. Uh, my Raptors in seven prediction and your Raptors in six prediction. Uh, yeah, that was one up in flames. Yeah. Can I, uh, let me, let me read this to you. This is a sequence of, I shouldn't even, I should get these scrubbed from the internet is what I should do, but these are the four headlines 
uh, of pieces I wrote for Vice during this series. The Raptors have a real shot at dethroning LeBron James and the Cavaliers. We shouldn't label them the same old Raptors just yet. The soul-crushing dominance of LeBron James. The Toronto Raptors played everyone for fools. That's a life comes at you fast series of headlines there. Can we just end the podcast now? Yeah. Yeah, we don't really (laughs) need to talk about the Cavaliers series, I don't think. Everyone has had time to process it now. Uh, On Tuesday, the Toronto Raptors cleaned out their lockers. Uh, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Fred Van Vliet, and CJ Miles spoke with the media. And that's it. For some reason, uh, I thought we would get more guys. On Wednesday, Dwayne Casey and Masai Ujiri spoke with the media. I guess the biggest note out of that was that Dwayne Casey spoke to the media. It was not a dual podium, mutual parting of ways. It was not a, you know, there was, he did not conduct the media availability with his head in a guillotine, which I think some people thought he might be. Um, Dwayne Casey is still the coach of the Toronto Raptors as of this moment. Masai Ujiri basically said the same things that he said last year at this time, where he needs some time to evaluate. Uh, Obviously, he's an emotional, fiery guy. It was a very fiery press conference. Uh, He's going to take some time to evaluate. It's not like there's a deadline that they're working with. Obviously, you want to do these things more quickly than than let them drag. But Dwayne Casey has a contract for next year. Uh, It expires at the end of next year, if I remember correctly. And, you know, they can take some time here. Do you have a feeling, I guess I'm going to ask this two different ways. I'm going to ask you first, do you think Dwayne Casey is back as head coach of the Toronto Raptors in 2018-19? No, but I would have said the same thing. In fact, I probably did say the same thing after uh, Masai Ujiri's uh, season-ending press conference last year. So the famous culture reset press conference. So I don't know that, and the fact that it, hasn't happened already takes it uh takes it down takes the odds uh down of him being fired i think that's correct odds always confuse me uh from from the very end of of the series but uh i think there will be a change yeah i would have said i was probably at the end of that series like 75 25 that casey was out and coming out of the press conference, I'd put it at more like 55-45, if that helps you yeah, with your I'm odds. Yeah, I might go a bit, um, you know, 60-40, 65-35, but okay. we're splitting pairs. Yeah. Um, also, the the timing. you got to credit the NBA Coaches Association. Man, no, that, the timing that, that of a- announcing an award that doesn't get given out until September, the day that Dwayne Casey is, is speaking to the media, Masai Jiri is speaking to the media. Rick Carlisle remembers his friends, man. No, it was a total coincidence, Blake. Stop stop looking for conspiracies where there are none. Yeah, everyone announces their award winners four months in advance. <laughs> okay, um, let me ask you, you know, this same... Uh, that's, that's what they should do. It's yeah. nice. That's the Dwayne whole purpose Casey, of a union. Uh, yeah, and Dwayne Casey is very deserving of that award, and if he wins Coach of the Year, he will be deserving of that award, too. Yes. Um, okay. Not that there are other good candidates. Uh, Everybody but Brad Stevens could win the award. Yeah, Brad Stevens doesn't deserve it. He's uh, too cocky. Also, he's three children stacked on top of each other in a suit, so... (laughs) I'm not convinced. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, let me ask you this question another way. Should Dwayne Casey be the head coach of the Toronto Raptors for the 2018-19 season? 
Well, I will, I will answer this in my typical hedging sort of way. Um, Certainly hedge more uh, successfully than the Raptors defense. Am I right? Ayo. Uh, uh, yes, you are correct. And it doesn't even matter what I say at this point. Like I can just say no. And I would still hedge better than, uh, yes. Than the Raptors defense. Anyway, sorry. Uh, it's doing case. No, no. Should do in case. Good. Fine. Um, as I wrote in my piece uh, for The Athletic on whatever that day was, Wednesday, I still can't get over the shot of Joel Embiid eating grapes. Why was he Why was he doing that? It's so strange and delightful. Um, should he be back? As I wrote in my piece in The Athletic, uh, I don't think the playoffs would have changed many opinions. I think it was very evident how much, you know, how good of a big picture coach he is. Uh, I, I think it was evident about how some of the minutia and small picture things um, are challenges for him, yet we should remember that it was the first game of the playoffs where he made a bunch of key decisions that got the Raptors in position to break that game one streak. So it's not like he's this clueless strategic mind as he sometimes gets painted. Uh, I don't think based on this performance specifically, you're going to fire him or not fire him. That shouldn't be the view. Uh, if you, if you think that his flaws, uh, are significant enough, he probably should have been fired a while ago. And if you think his big picture, uh, ability and his ability to run a program and to keep, uh, what was it he said after game six? Uh, keep the, uh, it was a good phrase and you pointed it out on Twitter too. Uh, keep the important things important. Oh, uh, the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. Um, he's very good at doing that, I feel. Um, and if you think that is essential and, and the most, important thing for this development of the franchise, then you keep them. Uh, I think they're going to make a change and I think it might be, you know, it might be time for it just because if the Raptors are going to go forward in with the, with a version of this core. And I do think that's what's going to happen just based on the realities of their cap situation and the roster, et cetera. It's something we discussed yesterday privately. Things have to get more granular. They have to get smaller in focus. They have to obsess over the details. And I think during his tenure, it's not that Casey's incapable of doing that, but maybe it's not his absolute specialty, you know? Yeah, I wrote about that today. Actually, it's not up yet as of this recording, but it's what I wrote about. Um, that basically, yeah, Dwayne Casey's done an excellent job. And my story wasn't Casey specific. It was organization whole. You could do, yeah. you could focus on all the little things with Dwayne Casey still. Um, it just might not be his most notable strength. Um, but yeah, you have all the big picture stuff in place and most of it is successful and it probably still needs improvement because you always need to be trying to improve those areas. But it's clear that like what the Raptors are doing in general has gotten them to, to a good place and the floor is fairly high uh, and they're developing talent well and they're doing all these things well. But every player and every coach in Masai Jiri kept talking about how small the margins are in the playoffs 
And, you know, you can't really hold guys to what they're saying at their postseason media availability because everything's still so fresh and they don't want to give stuff away. But if your explanation for what is happening at the margins is entirely intangible, that's not particularly prescriptive. You can't tell your guys to go get mentally tougher over the offseason. You can't, you know, you can't come back next year and say, well, well, we won't be as emotional. You have to, like, those things might happen, and, and, you know, those are real things that exist. It's just if you're trying to get better and you're trying to take a step forward and you're trying to prescribe how to do it, you know, things like, oh, we need to put our best lineups out there, or we need to have flexibility in our schemes at both ends of the floor because what works every four out of seven games against rotating opponents might not work four out of seven against specific opponents and stuff like that. So um, I don't think we should put it past Dwayne Casey to make those improvements himself. As much as anyone in the organization, he's improved during this core's tenure. Um, but, you know, I would totally understand it if they thought that someone else was better suited to take that next step for them. Yeah, uh, that's sort of where I'm at. And as a side note, if you want your team to be emotionally stronger and, uh, you know, ready for those sorts of situations and more composed, maybe you should also you, you shall student. You still shouldn't be complaining uh, about a call that happened eight days ago or a non-call that happened eight days ago when you got swept out of the playoffs in a four-game series in which two of the games were quite decisive and uh, one of the games, you had a comeback, but you weren't really in until the fourth quarter. And then, you know, one of the games was legitimately close against a team that was coming off a seven-game series uh, when the star had to carry, you know, yeah. almost look, the entire I, I think, burden. I, I, think it was, I think that was a bad luck. Yeah, uh, I think the series was actually closer than either of the last two. I know people think the six-game series was closer. No, I agree. I agree. The Cavaliers were like, they were not there for game three of that Eastern Conference final series. Yeah. Um, And then like the four games that they did lose were blowouts. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I'm with you entirely. You know how I feel about the constant ref whining among the fan base and the team and the, the, you know, even I, I love the broadcast guys, but the whole contact, no call incessantly. Yeah. um, I think it's a bad look for everyone. And I think that, you know, I think this even, this is a conversation for another time. Um, I think the Raptors' success has probably outgrown the whole marketing campaign built around, um, you know, this kind of persecution complex. Yeah, no, I that was also a throwaway line in my in my story yesterday. And like, probably I, 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 I love the, the We part. the North marketing campaign and initially the idea of, you know, othering yourself because that that was the case. You were irrelevant and you were this Northern outpost. Um, at some point, though, you've had success five years in a row. You win 59 games. You're the one seed. Um, you know, it becomes a bit of a bad look to concept. Like I thought, I thought the even the playoff promos were really well put together. But the idea of just having a clip show of how people don't believe in you is like, I yeah, know, I just I, think they're passing I find it a bit tiring. Like the the double, you know, the double speak, so sort of, so to speak, the, you know, we don't get any respect. Please treat us as the underdogs. Like yeah. you can't have it, it both ways. By the way, as we talk about this, I have, uh, I have sports center, sports center on, um, 
and uh, they're showing the TFC highlights, and apparently Greg Vanny, the TFC head coach, had uh, put his phone facing the media to show how Seattle was offside for a goal. Amazing. <laughs> um, Amazing. So maybe maybe it's a MLSE culture that needs to change. Yeah, yeah. You don't see the Leafs, though. You know, They're just having their head coach and their star not fight in the media. Yeah, yeah. wink, wink. Yeah. Um, By the way, spe- one more thing on Casey before we pivot. Um, uh, you- uh, can I just uh, let me finish that referee no. point? Second, uh, I think they have a legitimate complaint, I, uh, but that's beside the point. I feel it shouldn't be a point of focus. Like I felt weird. I mean, the elbow review wasn't as weird to me in real time as it was after review, but they did. Uh, after thinking about it, I should say, but they did sort of review any shot to the head during the regular season, intention or not. Like, it, it seemed like... It far absolutely less should days. have been reviewed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in Game 3, I thought it was a very bad luck when they changed that call after Mike Callahan vociferously and repeatedly uh, said that it was continuation, uh, only to change his mind when talking to the refs after uh, LeBron and the Cavs complained about it. it. It just, that doesn't check out to me. Um, and so I think the juxtaposition of those two moments, uh, it, it's fair that it rankled them. I just think it shouldn't be a point of emphasis yeah, at look, this point. It, because even though the series was closer than past series, and yeah, it could have swung a game, and that might have changed everything, you still got swept. You still didn't respond. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you and, talk about overcoming adversity all the time. They wilted <laughs> under adversity. To be fair, like uh, yeah. that's not the point right now. And okay, I don't mind but, complaining about it after the game or pointing it out or even Masai eating the fine in Game Three. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the couple days later when that's a sticking point is. I don't know. It's not excuse making because, you know, there is a, a real chaos theory effect to that game one review, uh, ignoring that the officials also missed the foul on DeRozan before the flagrant. Um, although yeah, and, although uh, the flagrant think... still would have been reviewed, like it could have, you could do both. Like DeRozan could have fouled them and then Kevin Love also still get hit with a flagrant, but. Anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, when the other side arguing, oh, nobody's mentioning how they missed the foul. First of all, everybody's mentioning it. Yeah. And second yeah. of all, that's not how the system works. You can't review a personal foul. Right. You can't, like, unless you're considering it a, for a flagrant. And even uh, if you could, a flagrant can exist at the same time as a personal foul. DeRozan could have yeah. fouled Kevin Love, and then Kevin Love hit a flagrant foul because the play wasn't blown yeah. dead. Both things yeah, could have existed. The system in place is meant to review flagrant scale or, or near scale fouls. It's not meant to review and reassess um, common fouls. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Hashtag anyway, whatever. Yeah, so anyway, that's way more than I cared to talk about the refs on this podcast, so let's talk about Sorry, something I else. Thought it, I thought it was legitimately interesting that they were still talking about yes, it. And yeah, somewhat interesting damning. is one word for it. Yeah. Um, okay, one more thing on Dwayne Casey. One more thing. What did you think of the tone of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan's comments when asked about him? Because I saw people take them in different directions. Um, 
As somebody who saw, I think it was after the Washington series, Kyle Lowry say that he respects Dwayne Casey as a man and repeatedly <laughs> say that, uh, I thought his, his uh, response was very positive. You know, neither of them said he needs to be back, which I, I, you know, we look for in these times, but I don't think either threw him under the bus in any meaningful way. I don't think there's, you know, because I subjected myself to American TV because I was in America, uh, I don't think there's this lingering thing over game three uh, and the benching, which was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, with I don't the think there's anything Casey. there. Um, I thought it was fine. And I, I think, you know, it's been a seven year partnership for DeRozan, a six year partnership for, for Lowry. And, you know, they've probably heard a lot from him right now. And, and the, the loss is still fresh and they probably don't know exactly how they feel about it. Um, but I thought they were, they said the right things. They were very, um, they praised him. Uh, in terms of their own development and the team's development, and I wouldn't read they want him gone out of whatever they said. I would agree with you. All right. I think that's a giant, giant leap. Okay. We probably don't want to get into every single off-season question um, no, because I don't want this podcast to be this long. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to do this podcast at all, but <laughs> we had to. That's, that's great, Blake. Just, uh, we love you, listeners. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, no, we should talk about, look, the Raptors are not going to blow it up. That much was, that should have been clear anyway. They're not built to blow it up until at least 2019. Um, they're not going to take a major step back. However, you know, running the exact same group back, you could do it and you'd win 50 games and you'd maybe probably win a playoff series. Um, and maybe things break better for you in the playoffs and the young guys get better. I'm not sure. Uh, but you can't. You definitely can't sell belief in this team finally doing it on a, a sixth try, I don't think. Not earnestly, anyway. They'll obviously try to sell it. Um, there are some bigger options, though. If they wanted to stay competitive, uh, mostly keep the same core, but do things a little differently. And I think both of those would, or, or sorry, that path would involve at least exploring trading Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan. Ideally, you could trade Serge Ibaka uh, for literally anything and get out from under that deal. I don't think that's happening. I think if you move Ibaka, you're probably looking at a situation where you're taking back other bad money, um, and it's just kind of a, one of those challenge trades or roster shuffling trades. But Eric, do you, you know, is there a big move out there for you? Is this core coming back mostly exactly as is, or are they going to explore some some bigger stuff that maybe we won't anticipate coming. I mean, I think the safest bet is always to say nothing big's going to happen uh, and that a coaching change might be the biggest thing to likely happen just because moving those types of salaries is difficult and moving Kyle Lowry at, you know, in his age, as he goes into his age 33 season or age 32 season, depending on how you want to define it, and DeMar DeRozan, given his skill set um, and his contract, is it's a tricky proposition. Um, so I'd bet on it being the same. But look, Masai Ujiri has gotten to the point where he certainly 
can't afford just to be passive now. And that's not what he's been. But I think because of his personality, we sometimes miss out on how conservative he is as a deal maker. Um, and I think this, you know, I also said this to you yesterday, like Brian Kalajula was this sort of mealy mouth, you know, okay, not committing, cold. not compete, not, uh, committing one way or the other type speaker, but he was actually like a very aggressive dealer and Messiah Jerry's almost the opposite. Like he's such a passionate and, uh, aggressive and assertive, uh, you know, defender and statesman for this team, but he's actually conservative when it comes to, to deal making. Um, and I think that strategy is, is, is prudent often, but we're getting to a point where it's not acceptable. And I, and it, it, it's sort of taken the Raptors as far as they're going to go in all likelihood. And I think that's sort of why you heard Messiah Jerry speak the way he did, because, you know, I think he's starting to feel not the pressure of his, like, not that he's going to be fired or anything, but, you know, you feel the expectations and you feel the need to maybe step outside of the comfort zone in which, which has gotten you to a really good place uh, and, you know, the best place in franchise history. Uh, so... That's a long way of saying I think he'll explore anything and everything, and I think he will initiate some of those trade talks as opposed to uh, being reactive. And I, I think Kyle Lowry would probably be easier to move than DeMar DeRozan at this point. Ooh, I disagree. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about why. Uh, I think that, one, DeRozan has... Uh, a little more like market appeal. So for the, those handful of franchises who are consistently looking to like make a splash or miss on a free agent or whatever. Um, and then I think also the fact that DeRozan is a little bit younger and kind of has like I'm thinking of specific teams that like I think I don't think the Raptors would do this. But if you wanted, you know, Minnesota would probably swap you Wiggins for DeRozan. Um, the Lakers, if they miss on Paul George and LeBron James, would probably swap you assets for DeMar DeRozan. Um, I don't know. Maybe Sacramento wants to make a splash. Uh, I just think I think that he, because he's a more marketable star and is a little younger, um, even though Kyle Lowry is better, DeRozan might be uh, a little easier to move. There's also... DeRozan doesn't have right now the game that without the three-point shot in defense, it, it doesn't project to age super gracefully. Uh, but he's a little younger, and he, he, you know, Lowry's firmly on the, he's firmly entering the the downswing portion of his career, and he, it, Lowry makes a little bit more money too. Um, not that that's a, a huge concern since DeRozan has the extra player option year, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I think if you're looking at a deal for Kyle Lowry, you're looking at only competitive teams that feel like they're, you know, fairly close, uh, but they also need to have you know, money to send back out. So you look at a team like Denver that maybe thinks, hey, if we got another point guard in here beside Jamal Murray, you know, I don't really know what Denver sends out. I don't I don't think uh, any bad teams out there are trading future stuff for a point yeah. guard in his 30s. No, there I agree are, with there that. Are always, there are always bad teams, but I don't know. I just think I see more paths 
to a team talking themselves into DeRozan being a good splashy acquisition than uh, a team needing and having the right pieces to make a Lowry deal work. Yeah, I think um, I think we were probably just thinking of different sorts of teams. Yeah. When also, Lowry is I, I would. If I were the Raptors, it would be an incredibly difficult PR situation to deal the fran- face of the franchise and the one star who wanted to stay. Um, I think if you're trying to maximize this little window, though, trading DeRozan gets you it is potentially gets you to that spot um, a little better because Lowry is a little more impactful than DeRozan, and um, stylistically, DeRozan is more of a bottleneck to what they want to do on both ends of the floor. Oh yeah, if that makes sense. I agree sense. with that. I agree with that. Um, I just, yeah, I was thinking of sort of different teams, those those teams that really can talk themselves into being a piece away from you know that next level, whatever it may be for them, uh, meeting Kyle Lowry and then sort of like liking that he only has the two years remaining Do you have on in his deal. No, not really. Uh, I was just, uh, I, I just haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's sort of where I was coming from. And, but, you know, through that discussion, you sort of see why I'm, I'm sort of, uh, you know, skeptical that a trade's going to be done for either of them. It's just a hard, uh, I think both are, are just difficult pieces to move and fit on uh, either other rosters or other salary cap sheets. Like they're both tricky moves to make uh, it, it also, while, while including basketball and, and league wide logic. Yeah. And it also hurts that this is a summer where very few teams enter the off season with cap space uh, because you know, that always opens up your flexibility. Now you have to worry about, at least for most competitive teams, salary matching and stuff like that, and then yeah. then you and those that do like, have cap, those that do have cap space, like most of them don't want to use it on Demar Derozan. Yeah, um, they might. Demar Derozan's good, but yeah, he is good. they probably you know if you have cap space this summer, in relative terms, it's probably even more valuable because so few teams have cap space. Yeah. Um, and also, you can use that cap space to extract assets from people by, like, taking on Damari Carroll and picking up a first and a second round pick for it. Uh, yeah, and getting uh, getting the tradee to stretch Justin Hamilton. Yeah, um, Damari Carroll. It'd be interesting to see if Brooklyn shops him this offseason because he's an expiring contract now. They should. They he's, should. He's good. Yeah, trade him back to Toronto. Yeah, they could have used them. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I, I don't know. What, what about I, – I, let's not do trade ideas. We could do that as a podcast some other time, though, because we'll have lots of time to fill in the off season. Um, yeah, we'll just get a bunch of people to send us their trade ideas, and we'll just say no, like your mailbag. Yeah. Uh, yeah, an annual tradition. Your trade yeah. ideas are bad, and here's why. Yeah. That's... Only Bruno is going to get traded for Malachi Richardson. Are you okay, bud? Yeah, um, I'm very interested to see Malachi Richardson uh, come September, though. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. I'm I'm not being sarcastic. Uh, I think I wrote about this at the time of the deal. Um, I think that he is a very interesting test case for this player development accelerator <laughs> that they have. 
he's the first guy that they're bringing in that they didn't find and bring in themselves that just kind of like showed up. And if yeah. they can turn him into something useful or a marketable asset they could flip or attach to something, um, and he shows up at Summer League looking good or in preseason looking good, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that says, obviously, the just the talent identification and the talent development with your draft picks and undrafted guys is really important. Uh, if you start to show that you can also do that with other people's retreads, that opens up some options um, when guys don't work out other places and you thought highly of them. So be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, I zoned out there, but oh, sure. That's fine. Yeah. No, I heard, I heard what you said. Malachi I, Richardson not, did not. I, I, I get, I get why you're interested. It just yeah. doesn't move me at the moment. It's very, um, it's very low, low value. Yeah. Um, but, because, all the, all the pieces matter, as we said, when things were going well and now are ignoring when things have blown up. All the pieces matter to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah at You're the not... end, only one piece matters. Only one piece? LeBron? Yeah. Only piece that matters. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Do you do you want to talk about anything else before we shut it down for a little bit? Well, you got to go home, don't you? I am. I'm going home for a couple of days. Yeah. My dad moves wow. to Newfoundland next week. It's Mother's Day this weekend. I figure I should go see my family for the first time since, like, Christmas. What a good boy. Not really. Um, Mostly I just want to drink their free beer. Yeah. Well, somebody paid for it. Yeah. It's free for beer. you, it's free. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be very mad if I get home and there's no baking. There won't be baking, <laughs> but... My birthday, um, I didn't get, uh, you know, there was no there was no cake sent in the mail for my birthday. I'm sorry, buddy. Happy birthday. It was a did you enjoy Did you enjoy game three? No. <laughs> no. It was a LeBron James game winner. Of no, course I, I didn't I, enjoy I, that. I will say it was cool to be there, uh, yeah. which nobody wants to hear. But like, I could imagine. That was great. That's one of, the thing, one of the things I'll remember about this job was seeing that play. Um, I think we should save everything else for a later date. Uh, the decompression really needs to take a hold before uh, anybody's ready for too much more analysis. Uh, I think it's, you know, quickly it's going to be difficult to move Serge Ibaka, as you said, without eating anything else. Uh, and player development is going to be, if not the biggest key piece of next year's team, a huge piece. Um, what OJ Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and DeLon Wright look like as, as players next year is going to determine a lot about what this team's going to be able to do. Absolutely. I'm going to, uh, I think for tomorrow, I'm going to write like a one, I mean, obviously all these young players are going to work on all facets of their game, but the highest leverage piece of player development for each one, I think I'm going to write about because, yeah, hey, this is something I touched on my piece today, too, is that obviously you don't want to pigeonhole the development of any prospects because you want them to be able to get as better all around as uh, you possibly can. But at a certain point, you know, if you're maximizing this window, you also have to get um, you also have to maximize role utility. So the player development, at least for some of these guys, you know, you look at a DeLon Wright, who's already 26 years old um, and still, has, you know, he's going to hit free agency for the first time at 27 you know he could probably get pretty narrowly focused in what he's coming back looking to add to his game um you know i'm not saying 
eat left-handed the whole summer like someone else. But, uh, <laughs> you know, with some of these guys, Siakam and Ananobi are different because they're still so raw and still have so much all-around potential. But some of the other guys, you know, you want to focus in on stuff that's going to very much help the team in the, uh, in the near future. I wonder how their agents feel about that. Well, luckily, there's a whole offseason where you don't have to, you know, you're not just going in there and Pascal Siakam is only shooting threes. I'm talking like a, just a slightly heavier focus. If you're tweaking the sliders on your player development program and you're out of the park baseball simulator, you know, you just just put a slightly heavier focus on one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cool. I do know what you mean. Yeah. You're just being an ass. Just why awesome. this podcast is over. Okay. Um, no, I don't know. I don't know what the plan is from here. Obviously, if Dwayne Casey were to be let go, uh, we would have a podcast reacting to that. Otherwise, we'll probably take a little bit of time and um, wait until we feel like there's enough space to give a fresh look at it, or we have some specific ideas, or you guys have some specific questions that you want us to address. Uh, I don't think we'll go as long as. Um, free agency or the draft without doing one of these I would like to not take that long a, a span of time off uh, but I don't think you'll get one of these from us for at least two, three weeks uh, unless the, the Raptors make a move behind the bench does that sound good to you Eric? oh indeed All right, um, guys thanks so much for listening all year long I'm sorry that it did not end as well as all of us had tried to talk ourselves into most things end poorly most things end poorly. Well said. There, you can title the podcast that. Most things end poorly. Yeah, I think that's a good way to, to head us into the offseason. Eric, thanks so much for today and for every week. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, listeners. Always a pleasure. If only to be a reasonable man.